welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the Give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa, and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! Hey Kingdom Culture, so excited in light of celebrating 10 years as a local church. We're doing a series called, a mini-series called 10 Years Down. And so we're going to break that into two separate parts. And so I want to encourage you, lean in, um, receive, open up your heart. I know God's going to speak to you. I'm going to be sharing 10 things over the next two weeks of lessons that I've learned in leading a local church. We can call it, hey, pastoral confessions from the last 10 years. I know it's going to impact you. I know it's going to grow your leadership. And I know that it's going to impact every area of your personal life with God. And so I hope you enjoy it. Hey, Kingdom Culture family, happy Sunday. So good to have you here. Whether you're watching on Facebook or you're watching on YouTube, we're just so thankful that you stopped by. We pray that today would be powerful for you. And today is a special day for the Kingdom Culture community in that we are celebrating 10 years as a local church here in the city of Ottawa in our great country, Canada. And uh, we've just been we had an amazing ride. And we're so thankful for the last 10 years as a local church, live, if you're, uh, I'm assuming, well, you're not with us because you're watching this live probably, or maybe after the fact, but live today on Sunday, after the experience, we're hanging out, having some food and celebrating uh, the last 10 years together. Now, for those of you that do not know, of course, um, many people watching, you may not have been tracking with us very long. Like I just said, we are celebrating our 10-year church anniversary um, but really, it's been 15 years as a legal organization. Like Kingdom Culture has been around for 15 years, 19 years for me of traveling ministry uh, around the world, and 20 years of serving in some sort of ministry capacity in leadership. And so I'm thankful for these last two decades. I'm thankful for all that has taken place. And I'm really thankful for what God has done through the local church here in the city of Ottawa that God has entrusted us with. And I wanna do something very special. I mean, it's also, for me, a very sentimental week because my son, my one and only son, I have four kids, and uh, my third child is my firstborn son, my only son, I have three other girls, and uh, he's actually turning 10 this week. He is the exact same age as the local church, and that's a whole other story. And my family van also is celebrating a 10-year anniversary. My family van that I drive all my kids around in is also 10 years old. So it's the season and the year of 10. So to open this up, I want to open up with a verse, and we're going to do something a little bit different, something that I've never done before in a Sunday morning context. And so I'm going to let you know what that is in a second, but I'm going to read this verse in 2 Timothy. Paul, the apostle, is writing to his spiritual son, Timothy, to encourage Timothy in his pastoral ministry, to encourage Timothy in his leadership ministry. So whether you're in business, whether you're a family person, whether you're um, in some sort of vocational ministry, whatever it is that you find that God has given you or entrusted you with to do as a role in life, take this uh 
take this for yourself. And of course, all of us are called to what I'm about to tell, tell you or about to read, but I want us to glean from this message, no matter what vocation you find yourself in, you will receive something from this. And so it says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul is saying to Timothy, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Three very important statements, and I break them into three. He says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I've come to the end, I've come to my objective, I've fulfilled my mission, and I have kept the faith. Why is that so important? Because in all of this, in fighting the good fight, in getting to the end of the race of life that God has called us to, there is a hard process in between, and not all, not all of us keep the faith. And so I'm going to read a little bit more, but I want, first I want to read the same verse out of the Amplified Translation. It says it like this, I have fought the good and worthy and noble fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith, firmly guarding the gospel against error. This is the challenge that we all have. We are up against, in our life, the errors of the gospel, all of us. And those errors have an ability to influence our faith. And so Paul is saying here, listen, I have guarded myself against all of that. I have finished the race. I have fought the good fight. And I have kept my faith strong against all the opposing things that would try to remove me from that race. And of course, in this context, the errors of the gospel that are being preached really all around. And in his day, they were all around. Heresy, false teaching, false teachers were all around. And so, and this is one of the things that Paul was actually dealing with when he was encouraging his spiritual son, Timothy, in his ministry vocation. So let me read five, uh, the first five verses of that same chapter. I opened up with verse seven. Let me read verses one to five, give you a little more context. And then we're going to dive into this. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 to 5. I'm going to read this to you. I'm going to kind of jump around a little bit so I don't have to read the whole thing because it is kind of long. I solemnly, this is Paul once again, speaking to his spiritual son Timothy, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus to preach the word. I'm skipping over to verse 2. To preach the word as an official messenger. This is his charge. Be ready when the time is right and even when it's not. Keeping your sense of urgency whether the opportunity seems favorable or unfavorable, whether convenient or inconvenient. <clears throat> this is something we all need in every area of leadership, every area of life, whether it's convenient or inconvenient. Be ready for whatever opportunity comes, whether it's favorable or unfavorable, whether welcome or unwelcomed. Correct those who are in error, or sorry, it says correct, and then in, in brackets, those who err in doctrine or behavior. Warn those who sin, exhort and encourage those who are growing towards spiritual maturity with inexhaustible patience and faithful teaching. We need inexhaustible patience to finish the race, fight the good fight, and endure and keep the faith. This is what he's saying. With inexhaustible patience and faithful teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine and accurate instruction that challenges them with God's truth. This is happening right now as we speak all across the board. It's all over social media. We are being bombarded with bad doctrine and we don't want to hear sound doctrine anymore. So many people are getting taken off the path and taken off the track because they have not guarded their heart from bad and error and just all around bad doctrine. 
It says here, for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine and accurate instruction that challenges them with God's truth, but wanting to have their ears tickled with something pleasing, desiring just to hear what they want to hear. They will accumulate for themselves many teachers, one after another chosen to satisfy their own desires and to support the errors they hold and will turn their ears away from the truth and will wander off into myths and man-made fictions and will accept the unacceptable. Verse five, but as for you, this is what he's saying to Timothy, as for you, be clear-headed in every situation. Stay calm and cool and steady. Endure every hardship without flinching. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill the duties of your ministry. The same man, same Paul, that encouraged Timothy in this chapter and in the first two books of Timothy also wrote to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, the same man, same Paul, he encouraged the believers at Corinth to run this race like they were going to win. It says, do you not know, or do you not, yeah, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receivers, or only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. And that word for run literally means to run like an athlete competing in the ancient, and this time, Greek games. This was sort of the relatable, mo this, this was what, what he was relating to. Run like an athlete competing in the ancient Greek games. Advance speedily like an athlete moving forward with full effort and directed purpose. Comes from this word that means or conveys an intense desire to get to the goal as quickly as possible. In other words, run with urgency to obtain the objective that God has called you to do. This is what God has called us to do. And we need this, and I've needed this. And today, my message title, if you're taking notes, is 10 years down. Write that down. 10 years down. And I want to talk about leadership lessons, and I want to make some confessions today. Leadership lessons and confessions. Really, this is what I would call the confessions of a leader or of a, a pastor that has led, been the lead pastor of a local church community for the last 10 years, but also a leader in general. And we could do, you know, this could be like a whole probably three month series, but we're going to do it as quick as possible. And really this in part was inspired by a dream that I had in July. And uh, I remember the exact date. And it was actually one day before. Now, those of you who've uh, been around with us. You know, I have this ring here I call the God Ring. It was a ring that was given to me actually in 2012, in July of 2012, before a very significant transition in my life. And it represented leadership. It represented transition and provision for me. And it was given to me a gift from my friend who, uh, and I don't want to go through the whole story because I don't have time, but if you've been with us, I even shared the story not too long ago live about this, what I would call the God ring and uh, how it all happened and what these diamonds represent, what the, the, the emerald inside or the sapphire stone, sorry, represents and, and how originally it was a little a wafer, 24 karat, you know, two and a quarter ounce piece of gold that was melted down, made into a ring. And anyways, long story short, this is the God ring. It's a, it's a reminder of God's promise. And this ring was actually given to me uh, 10 years ago in July. And the day before that, literally this past July, so it would have been 10 years exactly, the day before I had a dream. And in the dream, I was playing the intro on an acoustic guitar to this song called 10 Years Down. 
by a band called Story of the Year. Now, a band that I probably would have listened to back in the day, and they've been around for some time, and I'm not saying go listen to that, but it was a song that was familiar to me. I don't know actually in the natural know how to play the song uh, on the guitar. Um, there is not even an acoustic version, but I, in my dream, was playing the intro to this song on the acoustic guitar called 10 Years Down by the band Story of the Year. I knew it was prophetic. And a couple of things for me that were prophetic was that we were literally moving into our 10th year as a local church community. The day before I have this, or the yeah, the day that I had this dream, the next day literally was the same day 10 years earlier that this ring was given to me as a sign and it was connected directly to my leadership within the local church. And I just knew God was speaking and I began to kind of press in a little bit to God, what are you saying? And I felt like the Lord said this to me. He said, Sean, he said, I wanna do something significant in this year within the story of kingdom culture, hence story of the year. I wanna do something significant within the story of kingdom culture in 2022. I don't know what it is, but this is what I feel the Lord is saying to me and you and all of us. We are in the intro. We are in the introduction of that story. And it's no coincidence I was playing the, the intro, just the intro of that song on the acoustic. And uh, I really believe it has to do with what God is saying. I mean, even, even when you break down John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, that word here, if you break it down, it actually comes from a word where we get our English word acoustics from. And the only way we're gonna actually recognize the hearing of God's voice in our life is if we create an acoustically treated environment within our lives to make sure that we can hear the different tones and sounds. It's a whole other different message. I won't go there. But I know God is speaking about we are in the introduction. So for the 10th year of what, of what we're celebrating today, I want to share 10 powerful lessons and confessions and or revelations of leadership. Now, we could talk about the milestones and all the different changes and things that have happened. Talked about the fact talking about the fact that we've had 15 venues in 10 years. 13 of those were in a 3-year time span. I could share incredible stories of milestones, wins, testimonies. But what I want to share is 10 things that I've learned in 10 years of being a lead pastor, but in general just being a leader on a supernatural journey. So like I said, whatever vocation you find yourself in, you will 100% be able to relate and grow and receive from this. And I believe you're just going to get rocked by this. It's something I've never done before. This is a very different style of what I'm, I would normally do. This even sounds kind of like a podcast. And it's going to go actually on the podcast, on my leadership podcast, because I know it will be really powerful. So if you're listening uh, as well in the podcast after the fact, welcome to all those on the Supernatural Leadership Podcast. I just believe this will be so powerful for you as well. Number one, first lesson I've learned is comparison. Write this down. Comparison will always cause you to compromise. Something that I have learned so deep. Comparison will always cause you to compromise. Write this down. Comparison is a calling killer. It will destroy you. It will remove you from the place that you are called to go and it will put you on someone else's path that you are not called to tread upon. Comparison is a calling, a calling killer. The only comparison you need to make is to compare yourself with yourself, listen to this, within the context of what Jesus sees in you. The only comparison you, are ever, you ever should make is to compare yourself with yourself within the context of what Jesus sees about your life. 
And of course, you're comparing yourself every day to the person of Christ. I want to be more like him. I want to represent more of him in and through my life. This is the call of the ambassador. To be an ambassador of Christ is to represent him. So this is our goal, to imitate Christ, to walk side by side with him as co-laborers, co-heirs. I mean, this is our goal ultimately. But we are to compare ourselves with ourselves within the context of Jesus, that you would become literally a better version of you today than you were yesterday. That is who you are called to be, a better version of you today than you were yesterday. Ephesians 4 verse 1, Paul, we've been, you know, uh, reciting over and over again so far in this message. For in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, he says this, as a prisoner, he was in prison, as a prisoner of the Lord, uh, for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He said, worthy of the calling you have received. Not that someone else has received. Worthy of doing with what you've been given. Doing well with what you've been given. Worthy. To live worthy of the calling that we have received is to do well with what God has given us. Not somebody else. And so what comparison does, it begins to drive us to a place, an unhealthy place, where we try to be and do what someone else is doing, but that's not necessarily the calling that God has given us. And so I've learned this over the years, and I'm, I want to repent here because this is like a repentance moment for me, because I've definitely, in the last, even the last several months, but even in the last, like, say, a couple years for sure, I have come to a realization where I know that because of comparison, I have missed the boat with what God wanted for me in various seasons. I have missed it. And I confess that, that I as a leader, and I know probably many of us out there, have missed it in seasons because we've compared ourselves, we've, we've mirrored ourselves after an image of someone else's path. And we're like, oh, if we're gonna get to where we feel we're called to go, we must do what they are doing and must do it the same way. And I think probably a lot of us, maybe in business, families, mothers out there, fathers out there, have done the same thing, that I must do it this way. Now, I'm not saying throw out teaching. I'm not saying, you know, don't learn and don't be encouraged by others around you, other stories around you. But in the end, you still have to also be authentic to yourself. And that's a whole other point. But I really do acknowledge this in my own life. So I've missed it. I went down past that regret simply because I wanted to please people rather than God. And I see it now. And I see it now. And sometimes you don't notice it until you're out of it. Hindsight's always 20-20. And if you compare, if you live by comparison, you will die by comparison. If you live by comparison, you will always die by comparison. And I hear so many people tell me, and this is even my own inner voice, so I'm including myself in this. I hear so many people often tell me, including myself, that they are not where they want to be in life at this stage and age. Maybe you're thinking that right now. Maybe you said that to somebody this week. You're not at the place where you want to be at this stage, at this age. And you know why most people, most of us feel this way and say this? If you just dig a little bit, it's because of this. Write this down. We are comparing ourselves to an image of a person we think we should be based on a standard that the world has presented to us. We are comparing ourselves to an image of a person we think we should be based upon a standard the world has presented to us. The world says to be successful, 
you have to do this. And you've heard statements and stats like most people are at their peak when they're 30 or at their, when they're 40 or when they're 50. And maybe you're not there. Maybe you're not fitting into the statistical data. And you're like, I'm missing the boat. And you're freaking out on the inside. And you're comparing yourselves to an image of something or someone that is not your journey, is not your path, is not your story, based upon what the world has presented to you as statistical data, it must happen this way, you must do A, B, and C if you're gonna get to D, E, and F, and you've lost the plot altogether. You've been derailed, you've been discouraged, and you feel like there's no hope for you. Like I said, comparison is a calling killer. Paul said to work on what God has given you, not what he has given to someone else. Work on what God has given you. What has God trusted you with? What has he given you stewardship over? Work on that. Don't work on what God has given to somebody else. He says it in Galatians chapter 6, verse 4. Pay careful attention to your own work. For then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Focus on your work. Get the satisfaction of doing what God's called you to do. And the thing, the thing is, there's no, I, I bet you, one of the leading causes to the most dissatisfied people out there is because they've lived in comparison, trying to do something that someone else is doing because they think in their mind, if I just do that, I'll get to the end. I'll win the race. I'll fight this good fight well. I'll obtain the objective. When the whole time they've been doing the wrong thing, they've been not focusing on what God has given them. Number two, write this down. Two, second lesson learned, keep getting up and don't take yourself too seriously. This is huge. It's kind of two because they kind of, I feel like, fit together uh, for me. Keep getting up and don't take yourself too seriously. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16 says this, for a righteous man falls seven times and rises again. For a righteous man falls seven times and rises again. It is safe to say it like this. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to flip it for a second. It would probably be safe. I would propose this, that it would be safe to say an unrighteous man falls seven times, but does not get up again. In other words, what righteousness is reflected like or reflected in is your ability to keep getting up when you feel like you failed, when you feel like you've been knocked down, when you feel like you've been derailed, to not quit quit, to keep getting up. A righteous man falls seven times, but gets up over and over and over again. This number of the seven, like literally is a, a number of fulfillment. It's the God number to get up. This is God's design, God's will. The righteous keeps getting up when they get knocked down. They keep fighting another day when they get hit in the face, they get derailed. But an unrighteous man gives up and quits. I, I think we can I think we could flip it like that to help unveil our this idea that what looks like righteousness is keep on, keep on getting up. And I think that part of getting up over and over again without quitting is to also not take ourselves so seriously. I think a lot of our failure, a lot of our own getting knocked out, KO'd in life sometimes is because we take ourselves so seriously that when things don't go our way or in our, the way that we hope, because we're taking it so seriously, and rightly so, there's a balance, that we get disappointed, we get disillusioned, we get confused, we get like our legs taken out. I mean, so many people I've heard like they were believing for this one thing, and it was so intensely serious about this one thing, it didn't happen that way, they got their legs taken out, and it's like their whole faith is in an uproar right now. 
I've seen so many people go through this. But the righteous man, the righteous woman gets up over and over again. Don't be so hard on yourself and take yourself too seriously. I think, honestly, I was thinking about this. I was really doing some self-evaluation. I would say probably for the first 16 years solid of my leadership ministry life, I struggled with this, taking myself way too seriously and being so hard on myself. I mean, I can tell you, like even just just a little side example, and it, it may not feel too um, you know, aggressive for you or feel like a big deal for you, but man, like I'd say like honestly, the first 16 years of of speaking, the, the speaking aspect of ministry was incredibly stressful for me. And I didn't manage it well. And I've been reflecting a lot on this. It was hyper stressful. Like I'd go through weeks, uh, I sometimes be in inner turmoil in the inside. Like, God, I don't know if this is going to make sense. I don't know. I'd get to the end of like three days of study and be like, I don't have nothing. I have nothing. Like it's not coming out. It's not coming out on, on paper. Like, you know, I, I basically, like I write for a living. I'm always creating. I'm always creating. And sometimes it just wouldn't pan out or I'd get to Saturday night and Saturday nights were always the most stressful for me. Like honestly, for the first, I'd say 16 years of being in a, a ministry context, like weekends were never happy for me. I'd say Sunday was always happy. I'm not saying I didn't love Sunday, but but like weekends, like going into like a weekend or going into like a one day off, like Saturday used to be like my only day off at times. And and uh, it was never a day off for me because I'd be going into Saturday night knowing that I'm going to stay up till probably 1 a.m., revising everything, struggling with it because I would so hard on myself. Like whatever was delivered on Sunday, it had to be you, God. Like, And I was like, of course we want it to be God, but I would wrestle, like almost question, like, God, is this what you want me to share? Like I'll throw the whole thing out. And I would often restart all over again. After like three days, four days of study, I would restart the whole thing Saturday at like, 8.30 after my kids are in bed and I've got to get up. Back then we were maybe had like two services in the morning. I'm getting up super early, no sleep. And I'm like revising everything, throwing it in the garbage, like wrestling through still just the title alone. You know, just praying, God, use me, use me. I remember when I first started speaking, like, man, I would like fast and pray sometimes for like, five days straight, nine days straight for like a 20 minute message. Like I would go into this hyper state of God. Like I just, and you're thinking to yourself, man, this, this guy is unhealthy. Like, but this was just my, my journey. I came from a place where I had incredible anxiety speaking behind a mic. I had a stutter all the way till I was 18 until I was healed. Um, uh, or 19 actually, or 18 until I was healed uh, on my baptism and uh, speech impediment gave me anxiety. Like speaking was like an anxious thing for me. And so you got to imagine like I'm carrying this over into, you know, what I do. And I'm like, God, I just, it has to come out right. Like I'm so afraid that people aren't going to like it, aren't going to receive from it. Like God, you got to move. And so I, I would say that I really struggled with this uh, probably for the first 16 years solid. And I feel like I've come a real long way in this area. And I speak so much. I mean, it's you, people would think, wow, he, he experiences that. Yeah, I did experience that. And I'm not saying that I'm flawless. I'm not saying it doesn't pain me still, but you know, everything good in life comes with a perseverance, comes with a, you got to dig and, and living this way is not healthy and it can affect your ability to continue your calling. So don't take yourself too seriously. It can take a serious toll on your emotional, mental, physical health. It's not worth it. And, um, I think we just need to prioritize 
the right things in life to make sure that these things don't take over. I mean, I've always had good mentors, good spiritual moms and dads in my life, amazing friends, amazing accountability, amazing ministry friends that I can glean from and, and lean on. And, you know, four years ago, my wife and I decided, because we've had, you know, we've invested in marriage counseling over the years, we decided four years ago, we're going to invest consistently. And, um, with time and, and, and we have seen these amazing counselors for four years straight, still to this day, just saw them last week. Still to this day, we see them consistently in our marriage because we wanna, we're valuing our health, our emotional health, our mental health above anything that we do. And I, I think that these, these are some of the things that we can do to not take what we do so seriously in the sense where it drains us to a place where we die in the process. And so invest in these areas in your life. Get these things under control. Keep getting up when you want to fail. In fact, you know, if you don't have these things, if you don't have friends, you don't have mentors, you don't have relationships, you don't have good counseling in your life consistently, I think you're more likely to quit than the person who's doing all those things and to not get up. And so a righteous man gets up even if he falls seven times. Let me close this one point with this, Romans chapter 12, verse three. Paul said, don't take yourself too seriously in this way. He said, for by the grace of God given to me, I say to everyone, of you not to think more highly of himself and of his importance and ability than he ought to think. Don't think that you're more important than you actually are. I think this is probably why often we take ourselves so seriously. Like if I don't do it, the whole thing's gonna fall apart. And as you grow in leadership, you realize more and more that sometimes your absence is the greatest gift. Sometimes your disconnect is the greatest gift because other people can rise to the top and rise to the surface and rise in their own calling and gifts. And I think sometimes we take life so seriously that we think we're the only ones that can answer and solve the issue. And this is a problem. It's an unhealthy one. Number three, write this down. The authentic you, I love this one, is always the best version of you. The authentic you is always the best version of you. Do not let, first of all, popular culture influence the kingdom culture within you. Do not let the outside world influence the inner world of transformation that has already taken place on the inside of you. Now, figuring out who you are not can be as important as figuring out who you are. This is so, so important. This is why we can't let the outside influence the inside. We need the inside to influence the outside around us. Because figuring out who we are not can be as, as important as figuring out who we are. So, so important. Figuring out, okay, God, where is my lane? And of course, seasons change. Lanes may even change. But figuring out what is not your portion and what is is so absolutely vital to find the real authentic you. Finding your lane, being confident in it. Now, I have to say that I've had it handed to me in a negative way over the years, been very criticized. I said this is gonna be a little bit of a confession time, you know, leadership lessons learned, but I've had it handed to me over the years, been very criticized for having a very specific vision of certain things over the years, like things that I can see in my mind. One of the things, one of my gifts is that I am very creative. And there's been seasons, or seasons where I'm like hyper in that space and seasons where I'm like not as much depending on the season. But um, I definitely have a very, I've always had a very specific way I see things in my mind. And I, I, can, I can easily nitpick at the small little details. I care more about these little details often than most people do. 
And it's actually just how I'm wired. I, I'm not trying to do that. I'm not trying to do it in a way that has a negative impact, but I actually see the benefit of it. And I see that it's part of how I'm wired. And unfortunately, it's bitten me in the butt, so to speak. And, uh, you know, accusations of caring too much about things that just simply don't matter to others. And here's the thing. This is how I am in my personal life. Like, I don't just turn this on because I, I have a control issue and I want things to be a certain way in the ministry or in the church or in a business setting or whatever it is. Like, I am just this way in general. Now, of course, there's balance and I'm not excusing. There's unhealthy versions of this and there's healthy versions of this. But like I said, I care about the details. It's the authentic version of me to care about the little things, to care about the details. Now, imagine we all led everything we do in life this way, in our businesses, our relationships, jobs, families, etc. Like what would happen? Like if we led our life this way in the sense of letting others criticisms of us rob us of being the authentic version of us. And for some reason we have offered God within the church a lesser version of who we are trying to appease all people rather than bringing our strengths to the table. And so, and I've done this and this is my confession. This is my confession. I have let the pain of the criticism at times cause me to pull away and become indifferent, to stop caring, to begin compromising the gifts that God has given me for the sake of other people. Now, hear me very clear. I'm not saying that there's not room to grow. There's not balance. I'm not talking about me being out of balance. We all have out of balance moments. But the problem starts to lie in the area where you start to actually become indifferent, you know that you've come, you've let those criticisms derail the authentic version of you when you stop caring about the things you used to care about. Now, of course, there could be growth in that where you don't put as much focus on certain things that you used to care about. Sure, fine, great. But you know within your own heart when you really just stop caring and you become indifferent, when you've you're letting the pain of that criticism rob you. And I want to say this, because I still struggle with this to this day. I have not fully overcome this yet. But I've learned this so valuably in the last season of my life. And I, I want to say this to all of us listening, and this is for everybody here. Don't compromise the authentic you on the altar of someone else's preference and opinion. People say, oh, why does Sean care so much about that? Or why does so-and-so care so much about that? You have an employee complaining about why you're, you know, the, you, the boss, cares so much about this. Or you, the leader, or you, the parent, or whatever, cares so much about this. And, and you start to compromise things that you value in life, that you are wired for, that you are gifted in, because you want to please the people. Because now the people are coming at you, claiming certain things. And this is very a very dangerous place to live. And I've lived in this place. And I've ping-ponged in this place and I've compromised at times the authentic version of me because of this. Don't compromise the authentic you on the altar of someone else's preference and opinion. Have you ever compromised the authentic you on the altar of someone else's preference? Probably. We all have at times. And like I said, don't hear me say it, like this is a healthy balance in this, but that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about an unhealthy version of this where you become indifferent and stop living and leading the way that you are called to lead. Now, God is excellent, and excellence should be reflected through everything we do, but notice I did not say anything to do with perfection. God is excellent. God is not, God is perfect, but we will not do things perfect, and we will not be perfect in what we do. 
God is not calling us to try to be perfect in everything we do. Perfectionism is a dangerous place to live, but God has called us to be excellent. I just believe right there someone got delivered of a demon probably right there. To be free. You can be excellent without being a perfectionist in Jesus' name. Hey everyone, well that's it for the first part of this mini-series 10 years down. I hope these first several points really impacted your life and your world and I can't wait for you to join us next week as we continue with this mini-series as we celebrate 10 years as a local church. God bless you, Kingdom Culture, and we will see you next week.